Well, good morning. Welcome again to Cornerstone. It's so good to have you. We're in week three of our uh, Art and lo- of Loving and Laughing series. Last two weeks, we've talked about marriage, and today we're going to talk about singleness. And so you think, well, why not another marriage sermon? Well, all the singles have to put up with marriage sermons. Those are way more common than sermons on singleness. And actually, as of the most recent census data, there's 127 million singles, 18 and older, living here in America. And so we've got some amazing singles here at the church, and we're going to see what the Word says about that today. Now... I know it's very different being single at at 20 and 30 than it is being single at 50 and and 60. And and the scriptures are going to encourage us and give us hope no matter what season of life that we are in. Some are single and content and and really enjoying this season. Others long to be married and have that desire that they feel like is is unmet. Now, don't think poorly of me. I, I forbid it. I forbid you thinking poorly of me. I didn't look this up because I didn't know what it was, but just to see what it said. I looked up the definition of singleness, and according to Webster's, it says the quality or state of being single. And I'm glad I looked it up because I really hope the quality... Hey, listen, I forbid you judging me right now. It's a pastor thing you can do. You can forbid it. Listen, I really hope the quality and state of Christ followers who are single is much higher than those that don't have the hope of Jesus. And I hope that the truths that we talk about today will bring us to that place. And so today we're going to talk directly to married couples and tell you this is how you don't help singles, right? Here are some things you should not say to singles. It's not really helping And I'll talk directly to singles and say, there's a few lies you need to get out of your mind that you're thinking that are just not right about what God thinks about singleness. But first, if you're married, please love our singles by not sharing any of these cliches. Cliches and platitudes are not as helpful as we think, even if they are well-intended. Singles often, unfortunately, receive unsolicited advice and encouragement about their singleness. And so we're going to look at three cliches that really aren't that true and instead replace them with true promises from Scripture. The first cliche is this. Has anyone ever said this to you? You, you know, you really need to be content with your singleness before God will even give you somebody else to marry. Wow, that is really, you, you've cracked the code. You seem to know exactly what is to happen. This idea that somehow the person is, is lacking in their virtue or they're sinning in their lack of contentment and that's why they're not married. Is that really, is that really true? This presupposes first that they aren't content. How do you know that they're not content with this season of singleness they're going through? It also presupposes that all married couples are content. That's not necessarily true either. Or that they were first content and then that led to them being married. Right? Why do we think these things? But the worst of this is that it implies a formula to use as if we can take the dynamic and powerful and all-knowing God and boil him down to a formula and say, oh, we cracked the code, we just gotta do this, and the next stop is marriage. It's just not true. The truth about contentment is this. Contentment is possible in all seasons, in all seasons, but contentment is not a means to a greater blessing. The blessing is found in contentment itself, right? Some people even describe riches with the phrase contentment. What does it mean to be truly rich? Well, if I am content with what I have, I am rich. There's great joy and blessing in being content. And the scriptures speak to this. 
Philippians chapter four, verse 11, Paul, who was single, said this, I have found contentment in all seasons, right? In whatever situation I am in, I can be content. And, and keep in mind, he's writing this from prison. He's bound while he's writing this. And he's saying, I'm content with the Lord doing this. And so we can find contentment in each and every season. And so if, if singleness is hard, the answer is to, it's not to stop being so upset about your singleness. It's to rely on the promises of God that he has for us. Just a couple of verses after the one I just read, Philippians 4.13 is a much more popular verse where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the context of this verse is contentment. And so Paul's saying, I can be content even in this prison cell. I can be content even in this difficult situation because the power of God is going to help me. But the context for Paul saying that is that he is grateful for all those who were caring for his physical needs. So he's saying, I'm able to be content because of the help of others. And so one thing that's much more helpful than a cliche is if we have a friend that we know is just discouraged about the season of singleness they're in, we can say, how can I help be a blessing to you in this season? I don't wanna make things worse with platitudes, but how can I help be a blessing? That's what Paul was so thankful for. The next cliche, is this, has anyone ever said, you're so wonderful, why aren't you married yet? Oh, it's just getting more and more helpful, isn't it? This friend that we have, right? The, the, it's meant to be like an encouragement, like you're, I just, you just seem so wonderful, but the implication is, what are you hiding? What do you seek? What, when people dig deep, why are you scaring them off? What are they really discovering about you? That's what it can feel like at times. And we can judge our own worth by, by marriage and if someone wants to marry us, but that's not where worth comes from. It's so much more encouraging to speak the truth of the scriptures about our worth. Your worth is in who made you. God himself created you. He is your maker. It's in the Psalms that says, the, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Right, we are all made by God and so we have inherent worth because of who made us. Just in the last few decades, there's an amazing illustration of this principle that our worth is from our maker. There was a painting called uh, Sal Salvador, or Salvatore, is it a T? Salvatore Mundi, so um, savior of the world. And it was painted around 1500 and it was attributed to a guy named Baltrafio who was known to have worked in the workshop of Leonardo da Vinci. So you're like, oh man, this was close to Leonardo, but it's just this other guy. It's just like this artist practicing and making copies, it seems like. And so it sold for $72 in 1958. And then, you know, for $10,000 in 2005, you're like, well, this guy, it's still an old painting. As they looked at it closer, in 2006, they realized, wait, this painting's been refurbished or refinished, and we're looking at the refurbishment as not being very professional. But the painting underneath, wait, this has Leonardo da Vinci written all over it, and it's sold after the maker of the painting changed for $450 million, the most expensive painting ever sold, because... The maker wasn't Baltrafio, even though it was cool, it was Leonardo da Vinci. And so everything changed because of who made that painting. And it's just the truth with us. Even though we don't feel it at times, our worth is in that we are made by God himself. And he doesn't make mistakes. 
The truth is also that your worth is in how you were made. You were made in the image of God. We're told in Genesis 1, 26, where God says, let us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Why? Why didn't God make us like animals? No, he gave us a spirit so we could commune with God, so we could be friends with God. It's one of the things that makes us different from the animals. God loves us so much and made us in a certain way so that we could connect with him, so that we could have a relationship with him. So how we are made makes all the difference. I remember when Shannon and I were uh, a young couple in our first apartment, and we're just trying to furnish that thing. And, and you're just not buying high-quality furniture when you're in your first apartment. And so we were, we were buying furniture that looked good, but it was just all particle board. So it's basically sawdust compressed and, and, and glued together, which is fine. If you assemble it the right way, which is saying a lot, and then you don't touch it. So if you buy a bookshelf and you just don't put books on it, just leave it there, it will last for years. Not a decade, but for years. But if you ever have to move that furniture, just even across the room, it will just all fall to pieces. And I've been guilty of buying that cheap furniture multiple times than, than buying real wood furniture just once. It, it matters how we are made, and we are made in the image of God. And the truth about our worth is that your worth is in who chose you, and you've been adopted by God himself. We are children of God. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, that, that God predestined us for adoption to sonship. And so we were chosen by God, not just to be saved, but to be a part of his family. God could have saved us and placed us filthy sinners over here, but at least we're saved. He could have made a separate compartment in heaven for those nasty humans, but at least he was nice enough to save them. No, he saves us and he brings us close, invites us into his own family. You were chosen by God himself. You have worth, and your worth is in what you cost, what someone's willing to pay for you, right? And so the blood of Christ is what was shed for Christians. 1 Peter 1.18 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed. And man, we wish we had some silver and gold. That is worth something. But listen, but with the precious blood of Christ, we are so loved by God, just like Pastor Aaron said during worship, where he quoted Romans 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in our worst moments, if we were only known to God in our worst moments, complete rebellion against him, hurting the people around us, God looked at us and said, no, I, I still want to save them. Blood will still be shed for their sins so they don't have to die. They can live forever with me. And so we have worth. And so to say this cliche of you're so wonderful, why aren't you married yet? Just if you're thinking this person is so wonderful, tell them that they're wonderful. Just, just say it with your words. Tell them why you're so glad that they're in the church, what their worth is to you as a friend. Because the Proverbs tell us that our tongue, our words, have the power of life and death. And let's use our words to build people up and remind them of how amazing God made them to be. And so this cliche isn't really good for us, but don't worry, it gets worse. The last cliche is, you look at someone and you kind of feel bad about celebrating someone's wedding and you say, don't worry, your turn is coming. Your turn is coming. Oh, how, how kind and helpful. Listen, is that a promise you can keep? <laughs> is that a promise? I mean, that's a lot. That's very overconfident. 
That's what we were at uh, Disneyland, the worst place on earth, on Thursday. It was just line after line. You pay money for the Genie Plus lightning thing, and they're like, sure, you can book a ride in three hours. And you're like, I just wasted that money, and they're not going to give me a refund. Listen, it was the worst place on earth. The kids were happy. I don't know what it is about Disney where you walk through the gates and they immediately become ungrateful. You're the worst. I'm the wor- you're the worst dad ever. You didn't buy me a churro. I spent all of your college education money on Disneyland, but I, I didn't buy you a churro. Yeah, I hate you. Disney's great. I love it. No, my wife likes Disney. I don't like that. Listen, listen, we were at the new ride, Runaway, not Rapids, roller, what is it? Railways, Runaway Railroad or something like that. It's a new, new ride in Two-Town. And so you, you go on this ride and there is a catchy song that Mickey and Minnie are singing. And I've been whistling it ever since then and my kids are begging me to stop. And so the, the lyrics of the song are, nothing can stop us now. I'll tell you how. We're going to make it happen. Let's take a ride and spend a day in the countryside. Listen, good times are here to stay. Let's get away and have a perfect picnic. We'll sing a song, and absolutely nothing will go wrong. That's a little overconfident, Mickey, and it's a humorous setup. I was mad at Mickey. It's a humorous setup to all of a sudden a pie, lands on the, roller co- on the uh, railroad, and everything just explodes, and that's the real fun of the ride. But listen, you can't predict the future. We can't tell God this is the way it's going to be. We don't know the details of God's providence. Isaiah 55, verse 8, God himself is saying, your ways are not like my ways, and, and your thoughts are not like my thoughts. In fact, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the difference between how I think and you think. And he's talking to his children. He's talking to Israel when he's saying that. We cannot predict the sovereignty and providence of God. What you can say about God's sovereignty is Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. No matter what you're going through, God's character has not changed. The Lord is good. You can encourage someone who's struggling with, with how their life is working out with a truth like that. You can encourage them with Philippians 4.19, where Paul says, and and, uh, my God will supply all your need according to the riches of Christ Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, God is going to meet your needs. He's going to help you. You can say about God's providence, Romans 8.28, that all things are going to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We don't know the purpose of God. We don't know the situations God's putting us through that are going to be a witness, but we know he's good, he'll supply our needs, and he will work it out for our good and for his glory. And that should bring us great hope and real encouragement. The implication of your turn is coming is that the person is missing out until that moment. Oh, life, you're really going to be grateful once you're married. You're missing out until that moment. But the truth is this. The sweetness of life is right now. That there is joy to have right now in singleness. And these aspects that some people long for about marriage, like that kind of intimate friendship and, and family and being, being known like that, those are aspects of life that we can embrace right now, right? That singles can enjoy right now. And so when we treat single people as if they have this unbearable burden to just endure, we, we rob them of the dignity of singleness that we see in the scriptures. The truth is, life isn't about marriage, it's about Christ. 
As Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's, I'm gonna live for Jesus and when that's over, I get to be with Jesus in, in an even more real way and I'm so thankful for that. So if Christians keep confusing these two, marriage, life, life's all about marriage or life's all about Christ, then we're setting people up for failure because any idol we have in our life that we're looking to for contentment and security, it's not going to satisfy us. God won't let it satisfy us. Life is about Jesus. And so let's get rid of these cliches, get them out of our minds and stop using them. But singles, love yourself enough not only to close your ears when you hear those cliches, but to reject any lies that you're thinking about, thoughts about singleness that just are negative and not true that contribute to an unbalanced theology. A lie like this, that being single means you are alone. It's just not true. Yeah, well, what about Genesis 2.18 that says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Yeah, Adam was alone. Functionally, he was alone. He had, he had God and, and the animals. That was a unique situation. And God declared that being on mission for him alone was not a good thing. That was problematic. But if we take Genesis 2.18 and approach it as prescriptive, that the solution to a lack of companionship is only to get married, then we're assuming that God didn't think singleness was good or that it isn't good today. But then what do you do about some of these heroes of the Bible like John the Baptist? You're like, really? The single guy you're gonna give in the Bible is the guy who ate locusts and wore camel's hair? All right, bad example. But what about the Apostle Paul? He was, he was single and had such a great life of purpose and Jesus Christ himself no one's going to say Jesus didn't live the fullest life possible, and yet that didn't need to include marriage for him to honor the Father and have great joy in life. The truth, the real truth, even when you look at Genesis 2.18, is that living outside of community is not good. We weren't made for that. We're not made to be isolated and alone. There's a reality TV show I enjoy watching. Um, it's called Alone. I think the most recent one is in Tasmania. And they take like 10 people, they, uh, they're all survival experts, and they drop them off in either Alaska or this time in, in, near Australia, and, and they, they put them somewhere, and they have to record themselves, you know, worried about animals and snakes and bears and the temperature differences as they build a shelter, and they're isolated. They're far away from the other contestants. And it's not always the person who's the best survival expert that wins, it's the person who can handle the loneliness. And usually it's because there's some weird broken part of them. They're just like, oh, yeah, people, all people are horrible and something, I don't know. But listen, contestant after contestant are going home saying, man, I built the best house. I caught the most food. I am losing my mind being alone. I was not made for this. And they're screaming the truth about how God made us. He made us for community. And, and the truth is, we were created for relationships, and the church provides deep relationships. We are saved into a family where we should consider each other brother and sister, and that should matter for how we relate with each other. Hebrews 2.11 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The more we pour into each other, the more we are hospitable and, and love each other, the more we are living out the truth that we are one spiritual family here in the church. And so it's a lie that being single means that you are alone. 
And it's also a lie that your value is in a role, a role that you play. I've heard this phrase a couple times that a, a woman's greatest fulfillment comes from being a wife and a mother. And I think those are really important roles and you can really thrive in roles like that. We look to Proverbs 31 and we think, okay, this is what a, a godly woman is, is really like. And, and you read in Proverbs 31.10, a wife of noble character, who can find she is worth far more than rubies. And she is an example of spiritual maturity, but not just because she was managing her home well and providing for her family. It's because she was a godly woman. It's because she lived a life of godliness. That's why we look at that example and say, that is amazing. It's, it's godliness that can really give us value to the people that are around us more than the temporary role that we're living in. Temporary life roles are not the markers of godliness. We don't assume about someone's character just because they're a wife or a mother, right? And so we can't assume anything about that. Our value to others actually increases when our character and our integrity increases because we become more reliable to people. When you're in a bind and you've got someone to call, you don't call the flaky friend that you have. You call someone who's dependable and reliable. If you're getting a ride to the airport, you want someone that is not gonna hit snooze 10 times on their alarm. You need someone that's dependable, that's actually going to be there for you. And so if you're single, remember not to place your value in what is temporary, like these roles, but what is lasting godliness. And the scriptures tell us the value of, the, of godliness. First Timothy 4.8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. As we develop the spiritual discipline of praying throughout the day, that has value in our current life and the life to come. Right, as we develop the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible every day, it will change us today, it'll change today's experience, and it will mold us into something else in the future as well. Godliness has such value, we become more and more dependable and helpful to the people that are around us. And so, why is it that God has ordained that all humans will experience seasons of singleness? And not just in our youth or single as an adult, even married couples today, because of death, will have a season of singleness. So why is it that God allows seasons like this? And what's the purpose of those seasons? We have an entire chapter in the Bible where the Apostle Paul is just trying to convince people, oh, you can get a lot done for the Lord if you are single. I think it's great. Would you join me in that calling? And last year when we taught a sermon on singleness, we spent our whole time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to look up that sermon and continue to study this. But one verse in particular, 1 Corinthians 7.35, tells us the purpose of singleness. Paul says, I am saying this for your own good, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. To have seasons where we have less concerns about maybe somebody that we're married to and more time for the Lord can be a blessing. Marriage is, is great and I am, I am thankful to be married, but, but there are concerns that I have to always be thinking about, about how to take care of my, my wife and my kids and I need to be faithful to the Lord to do that and the Lord will bless as, as I am faithful to live in that way. But to have seasons of singleness where we are more free to focus is a blessing. 
When we, when we think of the word focus, sometimes we say, in this season, I'm gonna focus on my career. And there's nothing wrong with advancing in your career and developing new skills and, and getting promoted. But if that becomes an idol or an obsession, it won't satisfy. Or we say, in this season, I'm going to focus on me. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you didn't know how to say the word no and you are overwhelmed and you take a season of pulling back and focusing on yourself, that can be really healthy unless your obsession becomes your convenience and your happiness and your comfort, then it becomes an idol. No, these, this extra time that we have in these seasons, it's, to, it's so that we can focus on the Lord himself. And we were made for that, so we will experience delight in those seasons, even if we have a longing to be married. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and that is available for any of us that approach the throne, that approach Jesus and say, I want to spend time with you. We're made for stuff like this. It was the thousand, a couple thousand years ago that Augustine said this. He said, our hearts are always going to be restless until they find their rest in God and him, because we were made for that kind of relationship with God himself. And so... To embrace a season of singleness, even if you have desires for marriage, can be such an amazing testimony that points people to Jesus. And the truth that it reveals to them when you are embracing a single uh, season of singleness rather than the kind of begrudgingly going through it, the truth we find is that God's love is sufficient for us. People look at us in those seasons and they realize, Man, they are just joyful. They are, they are serving the Lord. They are using their time well. God's love is sufficient for us. That the gospel is real. That everything really is all about God. And we can be a testimony about that. And if you're going through a season of singleness and you want to continue to see what the scripture says about it, there's a book that I'd like to recommend that you read. You can pick it up on Amazon or you can drive a few states away and find a bookstore that's still open for some reason. And, and you can find, it's a Seven Myths About Singleness. It's by Sam Albury. It really is a good and encouraging book about what the scriptures say about these seasons of singleness that we can find ourselves in. I'll be in Israel eating way too much hummus uh, the next couple weeks. And so our founding pastor, Dr. Ron Armstrong, is going to come back next week and do a mini-series, as many as it can get. It's a one-sermon mini-series called Wanting, where he's going to explore the depths of our heart, our desires, our longings, and what the scripture says about what we should be desiring and where our desires can lead us and when we need to tame our desires. After that, there'll be a, it'll be Mother's Day, and because my mom is always watching in New Jersey, we will do a Mother's Day sermon, uh, and then we will be getting into a book study. We'll be studying First and Second Samuel for the next few months after that. So that's what's next at Cornerstone. But I've asked the worship team to come back out and close us in a song of worship so our hearts can respond, not just to today's sermon, but, but the, whole, the whole three weeks Right, as, as you want to bring um, things that you're praying through in your marriage to others to, to pray for, as you want to bring some of the struggles that you have with your health, whatever it is, we're going to have a prayer team that's available during this last song to pray for us. And so, Father, we just thank you for all that you speak for each season of our life, whether single or, or married, Lord. You know that you have goodness stored up for us. No good thing will you withhold from those that love you, Lord. You won't withhold what's truly good for us. And so we have hope in you 
and who you are and the fact that your character never changes even when our situations do. And we pray that during this time of worship, that even now you'd continue to heal our hearts and, and give us a greater desire for intimacy with you, Lord, that we would just grow in our love and passion for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we worship the Lord and please come forward if you'd like us to pray for you.